Yeah, that's wonderful. Uh, Stephen Carroll, Donna Carroll, come on down here. You all are reporting to the principal's office. You all are in big trouble. Uh, in um, May, our previous uh, worship pastor left, and uh, we have um, been engaging in a literally a, a nationwide search uh, for our, our next worship pastor, and in the meantime, uh, Stephen Carroll and Donna had offered to be available uh, through the summer on an interim basis, uh, which is kind of funny because I thought there's no way that you all would be even close to remotely available. In fact, it was Madeline, my lovely wife, who had, who had messaged Stephen when we were coming back from Austin on a, a, I don't know, a few months ago, and before she even asked me, she had sent a message to Stephen, and she goes, hey, what do you think about Stephen Carroll? And I was like, oh, I don't know, there's no way he's too busy, he's not available, it's impossible. She goes, oh, I already messaged him. And um, turns out he was available, and uh, over the past few months, I mean, what you guys need to understand is Stephen and I have been friends, and the Carrolls and the Carrolls have been friends for a long, long time. And uh, I've had the opportunity to really know this family. And the more that we've talked about and prayed about, the more we realize that we're really going the same direction. I mean, we're about reaching this generation and engaging and developing unchurched, dechurched, and badly, badly churched people. You know, the folks that wouldn't be caught in a church, those are our target audience. We're like, we're really serious about reaching this culture uh, with the gospel. And so with all that said, uh, we, we had prayed about it and asked the carols about it. We've gone back and forth, and um, it seems like this is perfect fit. Uh, we've extended the opportunity for Stephen uh, to be our next worship and community life pastor, and they have accepted. And so, they are now going to be journeying with us. I don't know what that looks like. And by the way, I'm terrible at this, like introducing people and I'm always nervous that I'm going to say the wrong thing. Did I say the right thing? Did I do all right? Good. Okay. Well, it's that codependency in me. I just want to make sure I'm doing the right thing. Anyway, can we pray over them? Does that sound like something we could do? And welcome them. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the carols, for, for Stephen and Donna. Thank you for Dawson and Brayden and Jordan and Megan and just their love for you, Jesus. We know that they love you because you love them. And you have poured your love in and through them to so many different people. And Lord, we have been so blessed over the summer to have them 
lead us in worship and just the joy that we get to have that experience every single week. We get to do ministry together. And then on top of that, the lives that are going to be impacted through this couple and through their family and through this culture and this community. Lord, we're, we're just standing in awe of you, how you bring things to pass in your perfect time and your perfect will. We want to say thank you. Anoint them. Pour your, your blessings and protection. We know that the enemy seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. And so I pray that they are constantly tapping in to the abundant life, that abundance would flow through them. And thank you for the privilege and the honor of standing with them on this platform. Uh, bless this family and uh, lead us as a church as we step forward into what we pray is your purposes and plans and will for Firewill. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Welcome. Thank you, Ms. Donna. Thank you, brother. Love you, guys. Okay, so uh, with that said, let's open our Bibles. Everybody say word. Get into the word. We are in Acts chapter 5, continuing our, our verse-by-verse exposition of the book of Acts. Uh, we'll be in verse 12 and following. And this morning, what I want you to see is the three distinct, the three distinct responses to the gospel in Christ-centered community that are evidenced in this chapter, but also, I believe, are evidenced in our culture. Okay, there are three distinct responses. There are those who will try to distance themselves from Christ-centered community and from the gospel. Okay, so they're, they're literally going to go out of their way to avoid the church and churched people uh, and Christians in general. Okay, there are people that are just going to try to avoid. And we'll look at some of the reasons why in the culture that we're looking at in first century Jerusalem, why some people were trying to distance themselves from first century Christ-centered community. But we'll also talk about what that looks like today for us in the 21st century, why there are people that will try to intentionally distance themselves. There are others who, will, who are going to be drawn to it. Okay, there are things that are taking place here. There are things that should be flowing out of our lives as we tap into abundance. There are, there are people that are going to be drawn to it okay people are going to be drawn to the gospel and and that is it's an incredible thing to see people are going to be drawn to healing and hope and and by the way if you if you're not thinking that this generation needs hope you're sadly mistaken did you see the gas lines this week okay people are scared and freaked out and overwhelmed and they need some hope more than they need a full tank of gasoline and then you're going to see the third reaction to christ-centered community and the gospel it, it's going to be to disrupt Okay, there are people that are literally wanting to disrupt Christ-centered community and even destroy it. And so we'll look at those three reactions and how to respond in each of the three. So we pick back up in verse 12. It says uh, that there was power, again, power flowing from the early church. This is the third progress report that we get by the, by the author and historian Luke as far as the overall Christ-centered community. What was flowing out of the community? Well, verse 12, it says, now many signs and wonders were, what is that word? regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. What does the word regular mean? It means frequently or often that they were, there were signs and there were miracles that were happening. And awe came upon everybody because of those. In fact, we saw one of those signs in Acts chapter 3 when the man lame was laid at the gate called Beautiful Daily to ask alms. In fact, Peter turned to him and said, Silver and gold I have not to give you, but what I do have, what he had was power in the name of who? Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And so the lame man leapt to his feet, uh, jumping, leaping, and praising God. The man was radically healed. They walked into the temple. The gospel was proclaimed from the portico called Solomon, and thousands responded to the gospel. But here's the question I have. Why? 
why were miracles given? And Luke goes to great lengths to tell us that the specific agent of the miraculous were the apostles. But why? Why were the apostles given the ability to perform miracles, class? Do what now? So others would believe, okay? So to validate the message, okay? They're preaching a gospel of power and life-saving uh, nature in Christ, well, power is on display. It validated the message. But what did it do for the messenger? Did it also validate them? I mean, think about it. The apostles are being elevated to this place of leaders, uh, leadership of this brand new fledgling community. It validated them as messengers just as much as, as Christ's miracles when he was operating in his earthly ministry. His, his ability to perform miracles validated his messiahship. Okay? It validated who he was. Well, this validates them as messengers, but it also blessed those who received the healing. Do you guys believe that the lame man who is now walking in the text, do you believe he's pretty stoked? I would say stoked. I'd say he's very blessed by the, the ability of the apostles to do miracles in and through the name of Christ and through the Holy Spirit. And it was also all to the glory of God. And it tells us that this early church, there was this power flowing out of it, but there was also this intentionality of gathering together. In fact, the end of verse 12, it says this. It says, and they, who's they? That's a good question. Because you could say that was the apostles. That is in reference, but I, it, far better to see it as actually the church. And they, the Christ-centered community, the revolutionary Christ-centered community, were all together. That is a very important word. I've, I've drawn attention to it and will continue to. It's the Greek word homothumidon. It is used 12 times in the book of Acts, and it is speaking to the distinctiveness of the, the church. What makes us distinct It is that we are together, that we are rushing along in unison. And it says that they were together at Solomon's portico. Solomon's portico was a, was a kind of an amphitheater area inside of the temple, inside of the, the general area of the Gentiles. And so it was a, a place of gathering. And it tells us that the early church, it was normal, very normal for the people to regularly gather together. It was not seen as an obligation or as a, as a hassle. People actually longed to, desired to, not only house to house, but gathering together in Solomon's portico to be together. It was very, very normal. Well, Let's talk about the 21st century because it, it may be normal for us to gather together, but I, I think it's become far more common for us to question how important is it that we gather together. I mean, I have made this statement, and I've heard this statement many, many times before, is I don't have to go to church to have a relationship with God. How many of you have heard that statement before? Maybe you've said it. You were like, I don't really need to go to church to have a relationship with God. And as, as you look at the surface of the question, it seems very, very truthful. It's almost like you can't argue with it, but I'm going to call it what it is. It's a truthful fallacy. Okay, so there's some truth to it, but it's actually false. Okay, because there are many aspects of our relationship with God that are community-centric. Because if you dig a little deeper, and I hope that you do if you're making that statement, or maybe somebody's making that statement, you've got to dig a little deeper because sometimes people are making that statement because they've been hurt in church. And what they're saying is, I don't need to go get hurt again. Or you dig a little bit deeper, and, and someone's just lazy. Okay, maybe it's just laziness. Family, we can be lazy, and maybe we want to watch the pre-pre-pre-pre-game show. You know what I mean? The stories are inspirational. Maybe we want to tend the smoker, or whatever else we're doing on a Sunday morning. Maybe we just want to eat pancakes. Sometimes we just don't want to go to church. 
Sometimes you don't want to have to fight the kids to get them into their clothing and get them into their seats and getting them into their class and then get over here and you're like, <gasps> sometimes it's a beating. Is it a beating sometimes to go to church? Can we just be honest? Okay. And then sometimes it's just like an ignorance. Like, well, I guess I really don't need to go to church and I can have a relationship with God. But let's think about this. There are so many aspects of our Christian life. And when I talk about aspects of a Christian life, I'm speaking of all the vibrant and life-giving aspects of our Christian life that can only take place in community. Let's talk about prayer. When Jesus gave us a model of prayer, did he give us a model of individual prayer or community prayer? Our Father in heaven. It is a prayer supremely of community where we gather together in prayer. It is not my Father in heaven. It is our Father in heaven. How about worship? Can you worship by yourself? Well, certainly but how much greater is it when one heart, one mind, we with literally one voice worship God? It has a vibrancy to it. Aspects of serving, okay? Who can you serve if you're by yourself? There's only one person to serve, yourself. But when you're in community, you get to serve others. Remember, Christ did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Let's think about not only uh, prayer and, and, and worship and serving, but how about communion? The first supper, uh, the last supper was, it was, was in a, a, an environment of community. And Jesus said, here, take, the, take this and do this in remembrance of me. Who, who is he speaking to? He was speaking to the apostles, the disciples. He was speaking to a group of people. You can have communion by yourself, but it's so much greater this morning to see family members having communion together, friends having communion together. I saw a family over here all together, kneeling together, having communion, family. That's, that's something in Christ-centered community. And so I, wanna, I want us to really try to work towards seeing this is normal, okay? It's normal that we gather together. It's a part of our vibrant, growing Christian life. It's a part of having a growing and vibrant Christian life. And if there's anything that we're going to be in a hurry to do, let it not be this. We're in a hurry so much in our life to do so many things. And sometimes we just look at church the same way. It's like, okay, get church done on Sunday, and then I've got all these activities. And I'm like, if there's anything that we're going to be in a hurry to do, let it not be this. Let us rise early to spend time together, and let us tarry long. I mean, to the point where I'm literally, like, at the end, we're, like, turning off the lights, like, okay, y'all, you, you got to go. <laughs> we, we, it's, like, four in the afternoon. It's time for y'all to leave, you know. Uh, we're hungry. Uh, and, and so there, there should be some desire for us to, to spend time together and not be in a hurry. Well, that was a, a very clear picture, uh, something that we draw from the text of the early church, and I pray of our church today. And it leads to the distinctiveness. Okay, the early church was distinctive. There was nothing else like it in town. And in that distinctiveness, there was a couple of responses. The first response was, were those who distanced themselves and those who were drawn to it and those who disrupt. But I love this quote by John Stott. He says this, The presence of the living God, whether manifested through preaching or miracles or both, is alarming to some and appealing to others. Some are frightened away while others are drawn to faith. You see the paradox of the gospel in the church. Well, the first picture of a response is found in verse 13. It says, None of the rest dared join them. Uh, a way of saying that in the con contemporary vernacular would be, I wouldn't be caught dead in that place. There were folks that were literally going out of their way to avoid 
Christ-centered community. In fact, some of us have probably said that. I've said that. There was a time where I looked in on a Sunday morning and I'd see a parking lot full of cars and I'd be like, I wouldn't be caught dead in that place. There ain't nothing going on in there that I need. And now I'm like, gosh, I, I can't wait to be here. I wish every day was Sunday so we could be together. There's something that has distinctively changed, but there was something that was motivating people to avoid Christ-centered community. And as I thought through it, here's a few things that might have been keeping them at a distance. Maybe they were alarmed by the power of God. It's kind of frightening to see God moving in power. I mean, just like last week, two people, two like well-respected people dropped dead in the church. And could you imagine, hey, come to Firewheel. Last week, two people died in service. It'd be awesome. You could come. Not finding that on any billboards or t-shirts or bumper stickers, you know. Come, you might die. Um, but that was, that might have been one of the reasons where people were, they were hesitant. They were nervous. Wow, God's moving in power. Maybe they were scared of losing their own religious heritage. Their, their upbringing, their community to, to now associate with Christ is becoming progressively more and more a threat. And for them to associate with Christ-centered community would mean that they would then be distanced from their childhood uh, community of origin. And maybe you face that. Maybe you have had family members or friends who said, if you give your life to Jesus, well, we can't hang out any longer or you're not welcome here any longer. And that, that is kind of a scary reality. And so there were people who were distancing themselves, but there's something that I want you to see in that verse. It, it says that, yes, they were, they were going out of their way to avoid it, but the people still held them in high esteem. The church was still respected. There were things that were happening in the church that even if they were trying to avoid it, they were still in awe of it because there was generosity and there was love and people were being healed. There was nothing bad you could say about the early church. And really, there shouldn't be a whole lot that the culture should say in negativity as far as this church. I mean, there should be healing here and there should be love and grace and generosity that not only is found here but spills out into our community that our community can still hold us in high esteem even if there are some who will distance themselves. And then here comes the paradox because in verse 14, even though there were people who were being distanced, uh, there were others who were being drawn. Verse 14, it says, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Up until now, Luke's been giving us specific numbers. He started with 120 in the church, and then there were 3,000. Then there was 5,000, and we could extrapolate that out to 15,000. But now he's just like, okay, look, I've run out of numbers. Just lots. Multitudes of men and women are coming into the church more than ever. Isn't that weird? Isn't that a weird response? Part of the culture is, is literally distanced from the church and another part is like drawn to it. What creates that distinction? I heard free will. That's good. What else? Some believe, some don't. What creates that distinction in our culture? That there are literally people who will go out of their way to avoid the church and there are some people who are drawn to it. Well, I don't have any answer for you. I was just curious what your thoughts were. Um, it's this flowing. Now, from this, these people are coming in multitudes. Verse 15, it says, and they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats. Could you imagine the sense of hope 
that this was this instilling in this culture that people were literally willing to bring their friends and their family, and if they couldn't walk, they were literally putting them on cots and carrying them out into the street so that as Peter came by, at least his shadow. I mean, think of the power when you're thinking that just somebody's shadow might fall on some of them, and they were so desperate for their family to be healed. And that tells you power is flowing from this place. There, there is no place in the scriptures where it states that anyone was healed by Peter's shadow, but they were hoping that just even his shadow might fall on them. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, wow, there's hope in that church. There's hope in that place. People were literally drawn to it. They wanted to bring their friends and their family to it. And I think, wow, what happened in Peter's life? This guy changed. Y'all remember early Peter? Y'all remember early in the Gospels? What was Peter doing? What was he? He was a what? He was a fisherman? Y'all remember that? In John chapter 2, Andrew, his brother, comes up to him and goes, Hey, hey, Simon, I think we found the Messiah. And Simon comes and meets Jesus, and Jesus goes, Your name is no longer Simon, it is now Cephas, which means Peter. You are going to be the Petros. You're going to be the rock. And, and Peter's like, Oh, I'm a fisherman. No, 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 no. You're not going to fish for fish any longer. You're going to fish for men. And, I, and, you, and I'm thinking to myself, Peter had no idea how God was going to use him. Look at how incredible God takes an untrained, uneducated commoner and he makes him and elevates him to such an extent that people are just hoping his shadow might fall across their path. What if Peter said no when Jesus said, hey, follow me? What if he's throwing out his debt and Jesus said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men? Peter goes, you know what, that sounds pretty cool, but I'm going to be a fisher of fish. I think in all of us, there's this desire to be significant, to know that our life matters. Would you all agree with that? You desire your life to matter? You know, Peter's life still would have mattered. I'm sure he still would have had an impact on his family and maybe even in a fishing industry and maybe he would have had a profitable business, but how much more so when he was willing to simply follow when Jesus called him? I think some of us wrestle too hard with the Christian life. It comes down to this. Will you follow when he calls you? And allow him to map out the trajectory and the journey of your life. But this is what I do know, that God can and will do uh, some really profound things to some really unprofound people who are just willing to follow when he calls. You want to talk about significant? I can see no more significance in this life than if we're willing to follow him when he says, Come. And here is Peter, now elevated as this leader of uh, this early church. Not, not the first pope, as the Catholic Church supposes, but a great leader nonetheless. In verse 16, the message is spreading. This is a great thing. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem. They're bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits. And they were all what? They were all healed. Wow, could you imagine actually seeing the church as a place of healing? Wouldn't that be incredible to see the, place of, uh, the church as a place of restoration of relationships and marriages and, and freedom from addiction and freedom from bondage that like, people would be like, I've been healed. And we were so focused on the physical healings. I mean, that was significant in that first century church. But how much more so to see eternal healing and people tapping into an abundant life that we have today. You know, so often we're so uh, convinced that this, this 
Christian life is, it doesn't really penetrate beyond our eternal life. Maybe we're like, yeah, it's something that we'll enjoy later on, but I think it's something that we can tap into today. The abundant life is available today. And just like coursing through our veins right now is blood, there, there can be coursing through our life and the veins of our life and the arteries of our life, abundant life. Like when we tap into Jesus, in John 10, 10, it says uh, that the, the thief, the, the enemy, comes to do what? Do you all know? Steal, kill, and destroy. That's what the enemy desires to do to you. To keep you from in any way, shape, or form tapping into the abundant life. Did you know that the enemy desires for you to not have abundance in Jesus? Desires to kill you, destroy you, and steal from you. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life, abundant life. And, and we putter along when we have access to abundancy in Jesus. Wow. Oh, that we would tap into that life. And that's what's flowing out of the early church. They are walking in true abundant life in Christ. And so you've got people who are distancing themselves. You've got people who are being drawn to it. And now we're going to meet the folks that want to disrupt it and even destroy it. Verse 17 says, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with what? Jealousy. We'll see that is the great motivator of their behavior and their actions. Jealousy, family, is a toxic, toxic emotion, and it is dangerous to all who possess it. It destroys. Jealousy is death. And these Sadducees, and not just Sadducees, but the high priest, that is the most powerful religious leader in all of Jerusalem, he rises up because he is threatened. His power is threatened. The power of the Sadducees are threatened. I find it interesting that in the life of Jesus, his earthly ministry, who was it out of the ruling party? There were two primary in Jerusalem of the Jews. There were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Who primarily were the ones that were the opponents of and who brought most adversity to the earthly ministry of Christ? The Pharisees. And now we see that it is the Sadducees who are bringing the, the majority of the adversity against the early church. And as I thought about that, I was like, I guess it doesn't matter what party you were in. They were, they were all contrary to Christ. They were standing opposed to his will, word, and purposes. But there's this one word that jumps out at me. It's jealousy. It's a word that is common to our everyday existence. It means having resentment brought about by envy. Uh, it's like looking at somebody who has something that you want, and you want it, and it, what it does is it does two things. One, it takes your eyes off of contentment and joy of what you have, and it convinces you that things will be better if you have what they have. And then it motivates you to do something even more destructive, is destroy the person who has what you want. And that's exactly what motivates these jealous, uh, jealousy-filled Sadducees. Verse 18, it says, They arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. This is now the second arrest that we see in the book of Acts. The first arrest was Peter and John who were taken into custody inside of the temple, but now all of the apostles are arrested. You're going to see a progression of aggression, and they are put in the public prison. That is not a, a comfortable place, by the way. It was a 
place where you were publicly shamed. And so the apostles are now in a place of common criminals and drunks and prostitutes and panhandlers and now apostles. And they were probably like, we get to share the gospel. Like everywhere they go, they're like, what an opportunity uh, to, to reach out to people that they wouldn't have had access to had they not been arrested. And so they're like, thanks, Lord. And so they go into this prison and uh, the, the religious elite think they've now flexed their religious muscles. They're all motivated by jealousy. And then the apostles are that night in the prison. And look what happens that night. Verse 19, it says this. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. There's nothing greater than having the prison doors swing wide. If you've never spent a night or nights in jail, you probably don't know what I'm talking about. But I'll tell you what, when that door swings open, you're like, woo! So the door swings open. And in that place, literally no one else notices. There's guards in there. There's the keeper of the jail. No one notices that the door swings wide. I don't know if they're in a trance, if they're just knocked out, but the angel of the Lord walks in. Door swings open, and the, the angel says to them, now go, flee Jerusalem, go protect yourselves, and run for your lives. No, that's not what the angel says. Not even kind of. No, the angel says this, go and stand at the temple and continue speaking to the people all the words of this life. Can you imagine literally jump out of the frying pan into the fire? Like go back into the temple and keep preaching. Why? Why would the angel tell them to do this? Because why? Why? There were more people to reach. It didn't matter that there were those who were trying to disrupt and destroy the church. They were not to stop doing what they were called to do. They were to continue preaching the gospel. In fact, in verse 21, it says, uh, and hearing this, and in fact, it says when they heard this, that word heard, it means to listen with the actual intention of obeying. Wouldn't that be great if we approached God that way? Like, I hear you with the actual intention of obeying you. They entered the temple at daybreak. They stopped off at Starbucks, got some coffee. They cruised into the temple, and they began to preach. Isn't that incredible? They went back. I love the irony of this. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, so you imagine they started their morning off, you know, they were shining up their rings, trimming their beards. They were looking fresh. They were ready to put these apostles on trial. They're slapping fives. They're feeling all pompous and arrogant. You know how oh, it's so funny when you dig a pit and you yourself fall in it. Uh, they called together the council and the senate of the people in Israel, and they sent to the prison to have them brought. High irony of the book of Acts. Guess who's not in the prison? Prison keepers are there. The guards are there. But who's not there? The apostles. And they would never think to check the temple. And we'll look at that next week. But let's talk about some things that we can take with us as we, as we uh, process this passage this morning. First, I want to encourage you with this together, that one word together. It was so normal for the early church to be together. And I fear that it's becoming progressively more and more abnormal for us to be together. And family, I just want to encourage you, please, protect this. Don't be in a hurry with this. We're in such a hurry in every aspect of our life. There's something significant. There's something. This is significant. It's significant that you're here together right now. It's not just to sit down and hear a sermon preached. Our lives are supposed to intermingle with one another. We're supposed to be together. And we're like the most isolated people on earth. 
And part of tapping into abundancy is tapping into Christ-centered community, that we spend time with one another. Let's not be in a hurry here. We can be in a hurry everywhere else in our life, and we can talk about the, the tyranny, the urgent, and all the stuff that fills our day, but could we just slow down here? Can we make a commitment that once a week we're going to come together and just be together? Can we do that? One heart, one mind, one soul. Slow down. In a hurry, decades will pass you by. And you'll look back and you'll think, where did the time go? Oh, if I had just slowed down. Together. Fight against that statement that is common. I don't need to go to church to have a relationship with God. It sounds true. It's not. All vibrant, life-giving aspects of our faith are developed here. Fight against that. The pre-pre-pre-game show is sufficient. You don't need the pre-pre-pre-pre-game show. Spend time here. Secondly, the paradox. There are some in our culture who do not want to come. No matter what we do, no matter how loving or gracious and passionate we are, no matter how authentic and transparent, some will go out of their way to avoid this place. Some people right now, and you may be even saying this to yourself, I, I didn't even think I'd be caught dead there. There are some people who just would not, that they don't desire. Invite them anyway. And don't be rude and disrespectful if they say no. We're not better than anybody else. They just, they don't feel drawn. It's something that's keeping them at a distance. Pray for them. But I'll tell you that there are thousands of people locally who desire, who crave, who are drawn to something like this. And there's only a couple of ways, family, that they're going to get here. I always love it when we pray like, God, can you just have people, their car break down? Or them like make a wrong turn and like think this is a taco bueno and think it's like a drive through <laughs> and like pull in and then they don't know why their feet are walking, but they're, they're just like transported into this place and they, they'll hear the gospel. We pray all kinds of funny things, you know. Wouldn't it be nice if we just invited people, like built relationships and then said, hey, would you like to come with me to church on Sunday morning? Did you know that there are people who are drawn here, but they just need to be invited here? I just met a family today that my wife has, has generated a relationship with them at the local grocery store, and they came because they were invited. Did you know there are thousands of people locally who will come because they're invited, but will not come if not invited? So what should we do with that? What's the way do we apply that? Let's just keep praying their car breaks down out front, right? Maybe we'll put a sign out there that says, turn or burn. Man, that'll have people flock here <laughs> come on y'all invite people be nice and uh you know what guess what they'll come they'll be drawn here and then how do we respond to disruptors and those who desire to tear down and to, to destroy you know what you do keep doing what god's called you to do people are gonna at times they're gonna attack your character they're gonna tear you down they're gonna say all kinds of ill against you but you know what you keep doing what god's called you to do don't give in, because you know what? Haters are going to hate. Taylor Swift ain't the only one who's saying that. Haters are just going to hate. Shake it off. Shake it off, right? <laughs> what? Did that, I that say it right? Did I do that right? Shake it off. Shake it off. Stephen told me about that song this week. Pray for him. He's our new worship pastor. 
But shake it off, man. Don't let that stuff tear you down because you know what? Jesus is saying, keep doing what I've called you to do. Church, keep doing what we are called to do. People will try to tear down, but let's keep our hand to the plow. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word today that we get to study it together. Thank you for this place of community and authenticity, a place where we can be in process and grace upon grace is just lavished on our souls and, and I don't know, Lord, what I'd do without the church. I thank you for this beautiful, beautiful place. I pray encouragement on every soul here this morning, every person who's going to be impacted by these people this week. I pray that we would be positive, uh, that we'd be light in a dark culture, that we'd be salt. I pray that we would hunger and crave to be together with one another. There'd be harmony, unity, and the spirit of peace, bond of peace, that there would be fellowship. If you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, just know that you are loved by God so much so he sent his son to die for you. His son willingly gave his life for your sins. He was buried. He is risen from the dead. He's alive right now, exalted at the right hand of the Father, and all he asks is that you believe. You call out to him and say, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe you were buried. I believe you have raised from the dead. Please, Jesus, save my life. Isn't that incredible? That eternal life and abundance is available to you if you're just willing to say and to believe and to trust and to, to cry out to him. Please save my life. If you were drowning, why wouldn't you call out? So if that's you today, call out from your heart, Lord Jesus, I believe. Please save my life. And the Bible records that just passed from death to life. Holy Spirit has come upon you. You're now a new creation alive in Him and a part of one of the most vibrant and beautiful communities on earth. Christ-centered community. Pray that each person here, Lord, is led to their tribe, a place where they can connect and grow deep. And we pray, we beg, we plead for this community. Please, Jesus, allow us to take this beautiful message of life to the world. We ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, let's stand together. Y'all did great this morning. Isn't that nice? Did you feel good? Y'all feel good? Mm-hmm. Now go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the suffering, and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all till we meet again, same time, same place next week. And do not forget, you are loved. Now, wait. Tell each other that too. Like, love one another, and then go proclaim it, go declare it, and go demonstrate it for the world that they are too. Have a great week in Jesus. Let's sing as we go.